0: I'm Marcos Molitzes. I am running solo today. For those of you who heard last week's episode... Carrie Alavel, my typical co-host, our whole house had COVID. She was the lone holdout. And uh, it seemed like she might pull through, but unfortunately, she, uh, she did not. She finally tested positive uh, yesterday. So from all indications, she's doing fine. She's just feeling a little rundown. So it, it, she doesn't have any serious symptoms. But it does mean that uh, I am running solo today. Um, but on the plus side, we have a great... Great guest! Uh, in fact, I'm going to bring her right in. Uh, our guest today is Afton Bain. She is an organizer at RuralOrganizing.org. We we've had all sorts of people from RuralOrganizing.org. They're a friend of the show, and we love what they do. Afton, so happy to to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, I'm so sorry, Kira not feeling well, but I'm I'm incredibly excited to be here.
0: So. Um, Afton, last week we, uh, we, you know, we had this great show. We had Anderson Clayton. She's a North Carolina Democratic Party chair. And she came out of that rural organizing, uh, tradition, which obviously is your, your big focus. And I want to ask you a little bit about her in a little bit, but first, before I get to that, I'm sure people would love to know a little bit about you, who you are, how you, uh, what you do at ruralorganizing.org and how you got into that line of work.
1: Yeah, I love it. So I have an unconventional background. Uh, I'm a social worker, um, but on the, the public policy side. And I was actually working in Europe when Trump was elected. Um, and unlike a lot of my colleagues, decided to move back to East Tennessee, where I grew up. Um, after t- Trump was elected? <laughs> yeah, after Trump was oh elected. Oh my God. Right, right. Not not, not quite the, uh, the common route. Um, and I remember taking my parents out to eat and telling them I want to get into Tennessee politics. And my mom started sobbing at the table and she said, you're never supposed to move back to Godforsaken East Tennessee. Um, and since then, you know, it's been quite the trajectory. I started out as a Medicaid expansion organizer in 2017. Um, and then as you know, President Trump and the administration went after the Affordable Care Act with all the iterations of ACA and, you know, all the federal bills. And so I was out in uh, rural parts of Tennessee talking about the importance of federal healthcare legislation. And then in 2018, I was hired by Indivisible uh, for the Tennessee U.S. Senate race. And I was the only statewide organizer in the state of Tennessee. And I started the rural program at Indivisible. And then I was hired by ruralorganizing.org in November of 2021 ahead of midterms.
0: Yeah. How do you like it? (laughs)
1: Yeah, I love it. I love it. I mean, it's been um, it's been quite the experience. And so I know you've had Matt Hildreth, who's our executive director. Uh, You've interviewed him a few times. But at RO, we really see ourselves as um, creating resources and providing technical assistance for rural organizers all across the country. Um, We're a field and communications and policy organization. Um, and we shift what people think about rural communities and rural voters, which I guess is what brings us here today. And a little note uh, side note: Anderson Clayton actually was the um, led our 2020 exit interview project, where we interview rural organizers all across the country as to um, what went well, what didn't go so well in uh, the 2020 election. And Anderson Clayton was actually um, part of that project. So excited to to hear more about that.
0: Yeah, so there is a there's a shared history that you guys, <laughs> you guys know each other. She was on the show last week, and if you haven't caught the show, anybody listening, I highly encourage you catch that show. Anderson Clayton is a star in the making. Yes. She is the future of the Democratic Party. She is a she's a present of the Democratic Party in North Carolina, but she is definitely a rising star. She's what like twenty-five, yes. and she's running one of the largest state parties. And she did so because she made this incredible case that the existing party Party had really fallen flat in their efforts at organizing, particularly in rural areas, but it sounded like pretty much everywhere in North Carolina. It's actually pretty brutal. While Democrats made gains all across the board in a lot of purple uh, battleground and even some red states, they actually went backwards in North Carolina, which is really not what anybody expected. So she's bringing new life and she's bringing this sort of real focus on rural issues. And often, so you know her, right?
1: Yeah, we we go way back, and so I think there's, um, you know, there's a new group of organizers, burgeoning organizers that have entered the national sphere um, and are really bringing, shedding light to the importance of rural organizing in rural communities, especially in some of these target states for
0: 2024. The um, sort of conventional wisdom in the Democratic Party for a long time has been that there was a sort of low hanging fruit with uh, core democratic base uh, voters, you know, black voters, Latinos, young people, college students, and so on. And there was a sense that, whew, we're like we're like, we're getting our asses whooped and, and but, but we can make it up in the cities and, and on college campuses. And then the funny thing happened, particularly in 2016, is that Hillary Clinton outperformed her numbers, her targets in the cities and in the college campuses and with target groups. And she still lost the election because all these rural voters that nobody knew even existed came out of the woodworks and, and Trump somehow activated them. And, and so this idea that it was just base Democratic voters that were turned off the politics or sort of kind of got upended, that there was also a core conservative base group that had been so disaffected and were so nihilist that they needed somebody mm-hmm. like Donald Trump to to activate them. So the issue is. Um, so when you talk about rural organizing, you're not trying to win the rural vote right like what what is what is it that you're trying to accomplish
1: yeah so i think anderson uh, spoke about this in her interview where she said states are won and lost on the margins. And, and I couldn't agree more. Um, rural engagement matters, hands down. Um, and abortion will be the marginal issue in 2024. And I know we'll, we'll talk about that a little later. Um, but there are about 30 million Democrats that live in rural America, and most of them are in hiding. Um, and it's really important to note that the lack of rural visibility in the democratic identity is bleeding these voters. And so the voters that didn't show up in 2016 are the voters that perhaps some of the Showed up in 2018. A lot of them showed up for the ballot uh, abortion ballot measures in 2022, um, and so we're really interested in in leveraging that rural engagement and also. You know I know you've talked a lot about like the strategies moving forward and, and looking ahead to 2024 but Democrats really need a both and strategy and so as Anderson mentioned you know appealing to the base first making sure she talked a lot about um, rural engagement and organizing at his, uh, HBCUs um, in areas that have been historically neg- neglected um, and then what you do is you appeal to other constituencies and you peel off those voters with issues such as abortion uh, and democracy and so um, I'm really Really excited to see those candidates that step into the national spotlight in 2024, as well as state party chairs like Ben Wickler and Anderson Clayton that um, really embrace that strategy and and try to turn out uh, in this most important election, perhaps of my lifetime.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They all are. You know, it almost seems like a broken record, right? Like every election (laughs) is the most important election, but they are. For a while, and you know, as long as, as democracy is literally on the ballot, it will be the most important election because it could very well be the last election if Republicans have their way. Right. And so yeah. it is absolutely critical. And, and uh, obviously we can walk and chew gum, right? I don't think it's an either or situation. And I, and I do, I sense that there is a lot more interest in rural organizing than there was maybe four to eight years ago. But that's from my outside vantage point. You're right in the middle of the fight. How are you sensing that?
1: Uh, yeah, I like to say that I think I think rural organizing has become more of a sexy endeavor. Um, even though I, you know, I, I kudos to Matt for, for founding this organization before 2016 and really elevating the need to embrace uh, rural engagement and prioritize it. But I, I just want to give you a little bit of a thought experiment. Um, we we cannot write off red states, um, and rural organizing plays a pivotal role in that. Seventy um, percent of the U.S. population will live in 15 states by 2040. So I'm just going to let that settle for your for your listeners. Seventy percent of the U.S. population will live in 15 states by 2040.
0: Thirty thirty of 100 senators are going to be <laughs> right. the tiny percentage left everywhere else. It's going to. Yes.
1: Yes, so rural voters will have a massive impact on the Senate and the Supreme Court, and unless we abolish the Senate, which I know there are organizations actively it's working not, on that, yeah. um, we're not going to get rid of this problem, right? And yeah. so, um, you know, in recent years, Republicans have focused on consolidating these voters in red states and rural areas, which is why progressive rural organizing has, has been so pivotal. And I just I want to give an example. Um, in 2018, I was the statewide organizer in Tennessee for the U.S. Senate race with Phil Bredesen and Marsha Blackburn. I'm so sorry. And after 2018, when we lost that race by double digits, Tennessee was written off the national map. Right. And I saw a lot of national donors. say, well, Tennessee's not worth investing yeah, in.
0: And to be clear, Phil Bredesen was a former or current governor. Yes. Like you could not find a better candidate right. who had one statewide. And I don't think it was even that close in the end. No.
1: No, no, it wasn't. It was 11 points. And I saw this same sentiment uh, in 2022 after Iowa and Ohio lost their Senate races. And so as I'm hearing, you know, I've I've I've, I've grown, um, I've been professionalized in red state organizing, right? Deep, deep, you know, Appalachian, southern uh, rural organizing. And um, we just can't write off these states, right? Because we, if we seed states like Ohio, right, which has been a battleground state and in perpetuity, if we seed states like this, we will never get them back and so I just want to reiterate how critical it is that we invest in rural and red organizing ahead of you know, 2024 but but in you know in, in the next decade because we are not this issue will not go away um, there will just be more voters consolidated in fewer states and we'll still have to um, play the Senate map so.
0: Yeah, and then even in 2024, we have to defend Ohio with Sharon Brown. We have to defend John Tester in, in Montana. We <laughs> have to defend uh, Joe Manchin in West Virginia. And, and yeah, right. uh, Joe Manchin, right? But Joe Manchin was the reason we had to send it last time. And so, right. um, you know, he, he, he kind of is a necessary evil. There's nothing else on the map. I mean, our two other... That's our two best pickup opportunities are Texas and Florida. And and that's that's rough. Yeah. So the rest of the map is basically rural states. And, and that's sort of the reality. And, and as you say, if, if we have a, a situation where 60 senators come from rural states, um, we are in trouble. Now, I will say this. It's easier to be for rural organizing when the issues now overlap with what's important with Urban liberals. Mm. Once upon a time, mm. you know, it was like okay to appeal to a rural voter. You have to be squishy on abortion. You have to, you have to be you know you have to be anti-welfare. You have to be there, there's like a certain appeal towards conservative conservative ideology in order to like be competitive. I don't know if that was ever really the right approach. That's beyond my area of expertise, but that was sort of the conventional wisdom. So anytime somebody said we have to appeal to to rural voters, that meant you had to to kick urban democratic priorities in the face. Now you have a situation where if it wasn't always the case, it has evolved in that direction. I'm going to read this passage from, from a political story that ran today on Wisconsin's uh, the Wisconsin Supreme Court race uh, a couple of months ago the one where where in a the most 50-50 state in the country democrats won the Wisconsin Supreme Court race by 11 points in the middle of like uh, the spring where you know they these races are scheduled that way to lower voter turnout right the previous supreme court race had 800,000 voters 1.8 million voters turned out for this one and the uh wisconsin party chair ben wickler who who is an old friend of mine and and who is sort of transforming what it means to be a state party chair uh and I know Anderson Clayton talked about him as sort of a of as a model to emulate yes. and um uh, he was asked he talked about the 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 you know how they didn't expect the big turnout it happened anyway how abortion was. Was sort of like the big driver. And he was asked what the most surprising thing about the victory was. And he said that abortion was the main vote driver for the Democratic uh, Supreme Court candidate in every market in the state. He says it wasn't just an issue for working that was working for Democrats in big cities, but it actually worked in rural areas too. You earlier mentioned abortion for one, and you also mentioned democracy. And Carrie and I have, going back from the beginning of this podcast, like three years, we have always said that the, the issues of democracy and issues of abortion were going to radically transform the electoral landscape. Yes. And it did so in 2022, for sure. I didn't realize though, that this is having salience in rural areas. So do you? what are you seeing? And do you agree with Ben Wickler that this is actually a thing that that is motivating rural voters Uh, towards the Democratic Party.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I grew up in East Tennessee and I was always taught never to talk about sex politics and religion and abortion. Uh, and I think that for a for a long time, that was that was embraced by the D.C. punditry class, right? Like, especially if you're running in the South, you absolutely want to refrain from talking about abortion. However, in these past few years, unconventionally, um, we have been proven otherwise. And so, I want to give you know a nod to abortion's track record in terms of uh, statewide ballot referendums. Six out of six in 2022, including. Kentucky and Kansas, um, and and what we heard from the field were that they're, they're these counties. So, for example, in in Kansas, Franklin County, which Trump won by over forty points in the twenty twenty election, um, voted uh, no by more than thirteen. Right? No, No against
0: restrictions.
1: Yes, correct. No, right. Are, abortion, uh,
0: abortion rights? Yeah.
1: Abortion, right. Um, and so what we're seeing, I mean, uh, amazingly, that's almost a 50-point vote difference, right? And so abortion does have a track record. And I just want to flag also, I mean, I, so here I am, elated, one, I can finally talk about abortion in the South. <laughs> right. And like, really. You know, <laughs> Right, and, and untraditional voters that you know aren't aren't really motivated by you know the the type of organizing maybe from the Democratic Party, right? But really care about these issues. And I just want to pause. Your voters are going to get such a kick out of this because I nearly died. So as as I'm reviewing all the the post uh, 2022 election analysis. Uh, Susan B. Anthony's list. So the premier pro-birth PAC, uh, you know, endorsement um, led by Marjorie Dannenfelser said that the reason Republicans, there wasn't a red tsunami was that Republicans didn't lean into anti-abortion enough. And I had to, I'm like, no, I had to reread it. And sure enough, I mean, this is, they, they really believe that This is the way forward. Right. And unfortunately, Republicans have 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 backed themselves into a corner because there is really no nuance when it comes to federal abortion bans and these, you know, Republican supermajorities banning abortion. There's no nuance when it comes to that. And so I think Republicans have really, really (laughs) they are really going to struggle next year um, when abortion is such a popular issue. I mean, they they,
0: the the supposed talking points was they were going to return it to the states. And then now they're talking like, well, maybe we can, you know, voters aren't, they're okay with 16 weeks. They're okay with 14 weeks. They're okay with, if you've spent 50 years saying abortion is murder, are you going to then say like, you know, murder's fine for 15 I'm weeks. That's right. And murder is fine in California. You know, just <laughs> not in, in Texas. I mean, they, they literally backed themselves in the corner and there's no way for them to message moderation, yeah, and electoral, um, expediency or strategy because they worked in the absolutes and their people don't know how to think outside of those absolutes. And it's absolutely amazing. So they keep saying in a lot of the punditry, a lot of white men too in the punditry keep saying like, Oh, this issue will lose its salience. Like it's, people will move on to other issues. Oh, they'll want to talk about inflation. They'll want to talk about crime. Do you see any of that? Like, I don't, I don't
1: see well I want to say you know in, in 2022 I'm just I'm over here in my post election analysis like spotlight just being like ah yes we said all these things because democrats that as i said embraced a both and strategy so motivated the base peeled off voters with um you know issues like abortion but but despite the call for democrats to to focus solely on inflation and jobs Candidates who also focus on abortion and protecting democracy made gains with rural voters, right? So, I mean, I do think it's going to be obviously at the forefront, inflation, jobs, crime, etc. But you have a whole swath of voters who are ready to go and gearing up to vote in 2024 that may not be motivated by those issues. Another platform of ours that I wanted to elevate, a big thank you to Carrie, uh, who couldn't make it today. But she actually wrote an article that uh, highlighted one of our polls that we ran last year and i think your your listeners will find this just fascinating. so even in rural america supporting abortion rights definitively helped democratic candidates this cycle which we said, right? but this was this was the the kicker. so a candidate a rural candidate that received a pro-choice organization endorsement fared better than a rural candidate that received an endorsement from the farm bureau.
0: oh my god. right? i mean the farm bureau is like the King of everything right
1: Rural King right yeah rural King but that is how that is how important rural voters have embraced the issue of abortion um, especially in these in these Trump counties right that like maybe you know I was I was speaking to an organization um, in Cookville Tennessee rural area I used to organize in that um, have this grassroots abortion group right and they were talking about I'm like you know what what is political what does a political win look like for you when you have no Democrats at the municipal level, you have no Democrats at the state level, and you have no Democrats at the federal level? And they said abortion is one of those issues if Tennessee were to be able to pass ballot referendums that they can voice their opinion on. And I think we're seeing that across the country. Um, and oh, don't even get me started on Ohio. I don't know if you want to talk about what's going on there in terms of um, the abortion <laughs> fight. But oh my gosh, my head is spinning.
0: <laughs> you know, and it's also interesting that that you that that a pro-choice organization would carry that much weight in rural America because conservatives have spent the last 50 years literally demonizing NARAL and Emily's List and all these groups that are working towards abortion rights. Right. Uh, they've gotten the sort of the Hillary Clinton, you know, all liberals are evil, they're baby yes. killers. And for them to still have, not just to not be some, you know dismissed, but to actually be embraced on those issues is an incredible shift. So the question then becomes, we always talk about the sort of the Democratic Party brand. Mm. And and in in that political piece on the Wisconsin race, Republicans were complaining about their party brand and and abortion is a reason that they're crashing and burning. But that wasn't the presidential year election. And so I just want to make clear that 11 points in the middle of uh, the spring in a odd number year does not indicate that that we're out of the woods in Wisconsin, it's going to be a real fight next year. But How do we take that next step? You talk about how many rural, the outsized importance of rural states in the US Senate for our politics Mm -hmm. in general. Mm -hmm. We need to, you know, the first step obviously is not to lose, you know, just get 15% of the vote in rural areas, you know, maybe we get up to 30, make it 70, 30. What does it take to then make that step so we're actually winning 50 plus one? And I know this is, we're gonna be looking out ahead, right? But I hope you guys are, are thinking ahead. And uh, how does, I don't understand, this is the part I don't understand, how does somebody say, yeah, I'm I'm for abortion rights, Uh, I may be for democracy, but those Democrats are bad, right? You know, if you go issue by issue by issue, right, they're kind of, I don't know, how many issues do you see that are core democratic plank issues that do not work well? With uh, rural voters, actually, that's a question.
1: That is a question. I mean, overwhelmingly rural voters support um, economic populism, they support anti-corruption, anti-agreed policies. Um, they support aggressive policies, which is why, and I'm sure you've had you know organizers that have been organizing for these ballot measures, that Republicans are trying to limit the number of states or increase the number of signatures required or increase the the threshold passage. Right, because they can't win. They know that these po- these policies are incredibly popular, and when put to a vote, a popular vote, we win hands down. Abortion, six out of six, right? I also want to draw attention, and I, you know, I've canvassed in the most rural parts of a deeply conservative state, See, We call it the buckle of the Bible Belt. Um, talking about <laughs> to write that book, by the way, <laughs> my memoir, Bible of the buckle, <laughs> Bible of the Bible. Um, but I canvassing in, 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 in these very conservative evangelical parts of the state, talking about abortion, talking about immigration. Right. And there's such a plurality to voters in this country. Right. Like I met so many people who loved, you know, the immigrants who opened up the, the rural Mexican restaurant in their hometown and they were caring for them. And they were fighting for um, their child to receive in-state scholarship to the public university, right? But then they voted for Marsha Blackburn. And I, I think it's, you know, it's when, when, in electoral politics, right, it's a win is a win, and you determine your success by the electoral outcomes. But I think in states that are you know, especially rural and red, there's just this pluralism of a voter that I think isn't often elevated. And I think abortion is just one of those one of those issues that allows that kind of complexity to be disentangled. And when you get to the core of the issue, it's about choice, freedom, and democracy, right? Which are so intertwined.
0: So, how do you finish that process how do you How do you continue to disentangle the the sort of ingrained hatred for the Democratic Party? Mm-hmm with the policies that that party supports and and i don't know i assume there's issues of class there's issues of racism there's issues of alienation from being cut out from the prosperity of the big cities i mean these are all sort of issues that i know we've talked about in the show before but i'm curious since you are literally on the ground talking to these people what is it that holds them back from saying like yeah fuck it i'm gonna i'm gonna vote democratic this time i <laughs>
1: Honestly, I mean it's it's just it's a it's a web of I would say disinformation. I would also say I mean what I I brought this up earlier in the conversation, but that visibility is a huge huge issue when it comes to Democrats and 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 progressives in rural America, right? And without that visibility, you feel isolated. You feel like your your vote doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think especially as we see this rural revitalization and renaissance of millennials my age moving back to their hometowns after they've, um, you know, t- lots of brain drain, as we call it, in Appalachia, where uh, millennials who've graduated college move out. But now they're coming back and they're restoring uh, Main Street right, businesses and bringing back breweries to their hometowns. And I think that there's a constituency there that is deeply untapped are we going to persuade the most faggot rural county chairperson? No, like we're not right. Are we going to persuade my QAnon grandmother? Absolutely not. Right. We're not going to do that, but are there people in rural communities that can be validators and In rural organizing, we say the messengers matter more than the message. Right. And I think if we can foment some some belonging and rural representation ahead of 2024 and we we bring progressives and Democrats out of the woodwork, that they'll say, you know what, my vote does matter. And I see that it matters a lot more when I've got 20 of my my community members with me.
0: And is that millennial re- revitalization? Is that because of work from home policies and, and post pandemic? Is that what's happening?
1: Yes. Yes. There's a lot. There's a lot to that. And I think there's also, you know, I obviously moved back in 2016 with Trump elected, but I have a lot of friends who are now starting families and moving back to Tennessee and they're voting, right? They're voting in mass. And so I do hope, you know, I, I do think states like Tennessee that have, um, you know, have, have lacked national investment and national attention, which I um, I didn't know if you wanted to talk about the Tennessee three protests, but um, I, I was on the ground organizing those. And I think that um, when you have a state like North Carolina, as Anderson discussed in and Tennessee, that is thrown into the national spotlight, I think it's a moment of opportunity to say, hey, red states deserve investment they deserve attention they deserve infrastructure um and i think that's where at least like anderson and i we <laughs> that's the that's our you know our core value is that we deeply believe in in the good of our states and 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 for and for change to come
0: i, I do want to talk about the the nashville three but before that i'm I'm just really sort of what so what you're saying if these millennials move into to back to their small towns they open up their gluten-free coffee shop and a yoga <laughs> studio that we're on the right track is that what's yeah. happening yes yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, is that like is that literally a thing that's happening
1: yeah it is i mean i, I uh, there are I, I would say not enough nationally uh studies to cooperate but i will say anecdotally i see this in appalachia where i'm from i've seen this in um you know more blue states so there's a lot of millennials that are moving back to their rural areas in colorado and minnesota right so you're seeing these states even become more blue so i do think this is a phenomenon um you know, I'm just wondering in the next 10 years, especially with that, that demographic and um, targeting shift with all of, you know, all these people moving back or moving to these urban core states, right? Then what does that look like for the map? And I do think there's a lot of hope in organizing that, that exact type of constituency.
0: Yeah, you know, that's, that's fascinating because uh, Lauren Boebert in Colorado in a her, in her very rural, very deeply red state, almost lost. Yes. Almost lost. And and so, yeah, you're seeing these you're seeing hints of it. You're not seeing, you know, it's not overwhelming yet, but uh, you're seeing hints of that as well. Uh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about the Nashville three. We saw we saw that the three, well, two of the legislators, the, the two black ones were kicked out by Republicans for uh, anti-abortion Gun control. It was gun control. Yes. Uh, the white woman was not because uh, and she was very clear about the reason why not. And that's because she was the white one of the three gun control. First of all, that protest itself. How does that play in rural Tennessee? And even the issue of gun control, now that, that you bring it up, because that's that's another key plank that has hurt Democrats in rural areas. But I'm, I'm starting to get a sense that's softening. But that could be wishful thinking. Uh, What do you see? Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, I um, so I as as a statewide organizer, I this was the first time that I will say so many organizers from across the state came together those three weeks. I think we, when we debriefed, we counted over 17 direct actions (laughs) for two weeks. I mean, um, but we came together. And what was beautiful is that there was this rural urban solidarity in in a moment of authoritarianism, right? And I mean, it was truly something to behold. Like I, you know, there were urban groups that were fundraising so that we could organize cars and drives for rural organizers to come up to the state. I don't know if you saw, and then I'll um, send you the link afterwards, but And I didn't know this was happening because I had to be I was you know, we had levels of security. So I didn't know this was happening. But uh, during one of the protests, rural organizers unfurled a banner that said rural Tennessee against fascist GOP. Right. And it was like I'm getting goosebumps talking about it because it was just, you know, in in a state like Tennessee, we are living and breathing authoritarianism. Right. And here's a path to building that multiracial democracy, which it, it, it is the solidarity between rural and urban Organizers, um, and I think it's also really important to note because someone asked me, like, well, you know, it, it seems it's you know they're 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 expelling urban legislators, right? But despite the overrepresentation of these rural legislators in the state ledge, rural communities are suffering in Tennessee just as much as our urban cores, right? Like our standard of living hasn't improved. They're withholding all this money to support working families, which disproportionately impacts rural communities. And so, just to say that it was just this beautiful moment of someone who. You know, I've organized across the state in rural communities. I also live in East Nashville now. And it was, you know, the solidarity bred op- opportunity in a way. And it was just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. So um, just shout out to all the organizers and all the rural folks that stopped working for two weeks so that they could help us organize all these protests. But it, it really was a microcosm of this rural-urban conflict that we see so much in our politic today.
0: I mean, it was a national phenomenon. And, and <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it was, it was amazing. Uh, and I, I actually do... that sort of harkens back to something i I mentioned earlier that it was a lot harder to sit sit there and say like let's organize rural uh communities when we were told that we have to have a completely different message for those rural communities the fact that now that we have a a broader message about freedom yeah that resonates in both places allows us for a more genuine building of the Democratic Party brand, right? Because you're not, it's not somebody in rural saying like, well, you're telling me that abortion's is icky and that we should minimize it. But then look at so-and-so who's all for unfettered, uh, abortion, Having the ability to have one message that resonates that that is a core sort of American message really puts us in a much better place than we've ever been. And I think that's what gives yeah. me hope that as long as that message does resonate, that you're telling me it does resonate in those rural communities, that we can start chipping away and eroding. You add on demographic changes, you add on millennials, right. uh, younger people moving back to those rural communities and, and building, starting their families there. Not just because of the vote they bring, but also the message and 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 the values they project, right? Um, there was there was a a story today in the Washington Post about um, Christian homeschooling and how this one family had sort of escaped, like decided to put their kids in public schools from that sort of Christianist and the hate that they got, right? But it wow. sort of infiltrates it, right? Because okay, one person in the community put their kids in school and they didn't turn out, they didn't turn to Satan. Like, you know, maybe they're maybe they're okay, And it sort of starts undermining that closed bubble that they've created with Fox News and Tucker Carlson and, you know, Sean Hannity and AM radio. And so it does. I mean, it's a long term project. Right. But yes, but um, it finally makes me think like, okay, I don't have to compromise my principles as a coastal elite, (laughs) urban Latino liberal in order to talk to somebody like, Afton Bain in rural right, Kentucky. Right. We're talking the same language now. I, I didn't see anything in what we've said that that there's no daylight between the values that we believe in. That I can tell.
1: Yeah, no, that's so true. And I just want to hearken back to something that Anderson said in terms of, you know, I think you're talking about, you know, Christian supremism in, in the south and you know she said the, the the democratic party needs to return to service right it needs to return right. to its service roots, and mm-hmm. i think you know watching the church organize in the south and seeing the erosion on you know not just the left but by younger constituencies of the church and that erosion of the social fabric like how are we how are we Re- rebuilding that right how are we recultivating that that cultural and social fabric of service and supporting each other in in moments of a hardship and i know democrats love to say this in tennessee but when a you know a, an, an issue hits right when there's a crisis no one's asking if you're a democrat or a republican right you're a community member and you're involved yeah. and mm-hmm. i just think that and this is you know one of our pride and, and joys in rural organizing in terms of our organizing platform is local, 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 local. Right. And I think when you have local messengers, when you're organizing in off years around local issues, right? That you're able to build that brand. You're able to build that reputation in a way that inevitably and eventually inoculates against the hyper-nationalization of our politics, right? Because yep. it'll never cease to amazing when I'm out canvassing in rural parts of the state you know, for a county commission race. And someone's asking me about a Supreme Court decision, right? And I'm like, how is that? Well, when you live in this you know, this, this eco this, this information ecosystem of Fox news, right. And no one's really having another narrative, right. That consumes that your, your psyche, that consumes yeah. everything you're talking about. But when someone comes up and says, Hey, you know, we've canvassed your area. We heard that water, you know, water's an issue here. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And immediately kind of depletes that, that defensive guard and allows you to, to access a point of conversation that you might not normally not get to access earlier. And Anderson also made the point. Like talking about insulin, right? And and someone asked, well, you know, is Joe Biden yeah. going to insulin or the Affordable Connectivity Program, which Anderson and I, rural broadband, is our first love, second <laughs> love, rural organizing. Um, you but how- those millennials
0: moving back in. You need that <laughs> that's butt, right. right. Yeah, Without right. right. that, without the broadband.
1: Right. But how can we incorporate the benefits of this federal government uh, direct service and leveraging local issues and local messengers? And I think that's the winning strategy uh, right now and in the future.
0: Yeah. And in the past, you had local newspapers, too, that would actually provide some of that local issues coverage that would give you a hook to that wasn't. But that's all been decimated, obviously, with the rest of the news industry and Facebook, which at one point provided some local news has been subsumed by QAnon conspiracy theories. And so. Absolutely. So, Ethan, that's that's our time. I want to give you an opportunity to wow! I so much fun. I know. I know. Uh, <laughs> I, kept, I was like, whoa. We're so. I want to give you an opportunity to pitch what you guys are doing or what people can do to help your efforts.
1: Yeah. Sure. So uh, we didn't. We didn't even give it. Get to talk about ohio but we'll have to, um, you'll
0: have to come back you'll, I mean, okay, okay yeah
1: i'll come right. back um but right now ruralorganizing.org we're running a field in in ohio um for those of you who haven't been following those of your listeners um the republicans in ohio are fighting to ensure that abortion isn't on the ballot in november so they've forced an election in august so that they can increase uh, the the passage threshold of the abortion ballot in November. So just like shenanigans everywhere right um and so right now we're, we're engaged in um talking to rural voters and small towns helping local groups talk to their communities um about abortion and about democracy in ohio um, we've just revamped our website so check it out www.ruralorganizing.org um and we're so grateful you know for for daily coast for for bringing the issue of rural organizing to the forefront so that your listeners can get a taste of of what my day-to-day looks like and how we're taking back power in rural america
0: Right, you know, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I need to know what people are saying in rural Ohio about the uh, this this ballot initiative to <laughs> make ballot initiatives harder.
1: It's, I mean, it's 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 a it's a mess. I will just say that it's a mess. So we're still fine tuning our our communications, but I will say that they don't. Ohio voters don't like feeling taking advantage of that's what they feel that like the republicans are doing right now
0: thanks so much afton bain she's with rural organizing.org thank you so much for your time we are going to have you back because this was way too much fun like and i, I really i do i just want to say i do appreciate your energy and your commitment to this fight and and this idea that that millennials are coming back to rural areas that actually gives me hope because you know what we have enough millennials in san francisco and new york like let's let's bleed some of that out to places where politically they can they can transform their local communities into something that actually that actually moves the country forward as opposed to leaving the the Idaho's and the Dakota right. to Tennessee. regressive yeah. dinosaurs who have way too much political power and are doing everything they can to drag us back into the dark ages so I really appreciate your work and your energy and thank you so much for what you do
1: yeah thank you so much all right we'll see you next time all right bye-bye all right, bye. <laughs> bye.
0: God, man, I love this so much. If you really see these two episodes back to back with with uh, last week with Anderson Clayton, the N- North Carolina Democratic Party chief, and today with Afton Bain, you start to see this like young millennial aggressive push towards making bringing rural America back into into some kind of I don't know, modern America, right? Like out of that Fox News bubble that is keeping them back, that is dragging them back to an America that really we don't want to go back to. I really want to underscore just the importance of having that unified message. For those of us who have been working in politics for decades, for several decades, it really was a two-message strategy. So you're supposed to talk to urban voters one way and rural voters another way, and they called it micro-targeting. And this was all the race during the Clinton years particular, particularly, and, and micro-targeting was supposed to be the way that would... That the Democratic Party would be viable nationally. In fact, it made things worse because you had Democrats talking from both sides of their mouth. Nobody trusted what they had to say. Uh, it was it was clearly not a uh, a party that really knew what it stood for because it basically stood for whatever it needed to say to win a particular voter. And it had no core. It had no heart. It had no soul. And now we have a party that really has started to find its footing. I know Carrie and I have been talking. Carrie's really been harping on the on the theme of of liberty Republicans have surrendered that theme. They used to be the party of liberty and, and now they're about book burning and uh and telling college professors what to say and what to think and you know uh telling corporations what they can or cannot do. I mean it really has turned on its head and this 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 weird conservative tirade against woke, which really means anything they don't like, has upended this notion of freedom. They've surrendered it completely, and Democrats have walked into that breach. Joe Biden's his first words in his in his announcement for re-election, was freedom. I don't think rural America has ever surrendered the idea of freedom. That you know, they they want to be the rugged individualists, and we can we can point out all the ways that they're not. I mean, rural broadband is subsidized by urban America. Aside from that, the fact is they they want to see themselves as independent, and they want to see themselves as free, and as Democrats adopt the mantle of freedom and as republicans explicitly reject it it does give us an opportunity so i'm really i mean i am so energized and puffed having done these two episodes both last week's with anderson clayton and this week's with afton bain so thank you so much for being part of that and joining us and thank you so much for being this movement part of this movement to save our democracy from reactionary Republicans. So I'd like to thank you, everybody who's listening, who's who's uh, on Daily Coast, who reads Daily Coast, uh, who's part of this movement. I'd like to thank Walter for producing the show, Paul for helping behind the scenes, Carrie for lining up these two guests. I know she couldn't make it today and it breaks my heart because she would have loved this episode, this guest, but uh, you know, she made this episode happen. And uh, so love you all. Thanks so much for everything, and I will catch you next week.